Hello, this is uh, Andre Carlisle, and I'm here with uh, Courtney Stith, uh, as always, of course. We are going to discuss the investigation that was released. Um, it's called the Report of the NWSL and NWSLPA Joint Investigative Team. It was released um, about 2.05 p.m. on Wednesday, um, you know, during another, you know, Men's World Cup semifinal. Uh, we'll definitely talk about that, but off the off the top, just want to let everybody know, like, obviously, this conversation is going to be heavy. Um, there's going to be a lot of discussion of, you know, or mention of things that are bad that could be triggering. Um, so it's definitely a content warning. Um, if you are familiar with the report, you know all the different ways in which it permeates from sexual abuse to, you know, racist jokes to body shaming. So we're going to talk about a lot of things that are going to be uncomfortable or concerning. So I completely understand if you don't want to listen to it, if it's too heavy, you want to listen to some of it and then pause, come back, all good. But just know off the top, we are going to get into some stuff given this report and want to make sure that y'all, you know, keep, keep, keep yourself safe. Um, but also, you know, this, the discussion we have, we think is going to be important and good and needed. Um, but, you know, just want to make sure that you guys are taking care of yourself. So uh, with that said, um, oh. I'm going to have Courtney just kind of start us off. Yeah, sorry. I just want to add to that. Beware of, you know, we have had a few reviews where someone's like, I listened to this with my kid. And so just also be aware yes. of who you're listening to this around if you do choose to listen. So, yeah, starting us off, the, the like, I, I don't want to laugh because it's literally like they're all the things that happened in this were just like, it was so much. This was something that was honestly really tough to get through. Like, and it's like, just, you know, full of what I call like legalese where it's just, so it was already tough to get through from the jump. Um, but you know, if you had been listening to our, if you had been keeping up with the news of what was going on in the NWSL, especially following the release of the Yates investigation um, about U.S. soccer, I would say for the, I would say for about half the report, um, the the framework of the in information wasn't necessarily new, um, though I would say that, you know, and to be fair, I read this kind of thinking about the framework of that report, of, and that report really hit on Portland with, you know, Riley, Mayor Paulson, Gavin Wilkinson, Monashim, Sinead Farley, um, as well as with Chicago and Racing Louisville. And I would say off the jump that this report really does span it like it spans a lot more. Like to be fair in that in the report from the eight uh from Sally Yates and her team, you'd hit on like bits and pieces from other clubs, but the like in this report you were really hitting on honestly, I think um if I'm being my most honest self, I don't uh, and Andre, correct me, you know, obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but it really feels like the only teams that didn't actually, you know, get their own sections of this report were really San Diego and Angel City. Every other team. Well, you're correct. Well, I, and they're not, mentioned, but yeah, they're not, it's not like that. there's like six paragraphs about them, all the abuse that happened right. exactly. in, those, in those squads. But like one thing I kind of picked up was, you know, they were mentioned here and there, but it wasn't like. Like, I would still say the meat and potatoes. I don't, I try not to use that phrase, but really the bulk of this report really did focus, um, I would say, on Portland, 
Chicago racing Louisville and to, like, especially in terms of the length of content. Um, but then also talks about sky blue slash Gotham. Cause they did, you know, some of those things happened during the official sky blue days. Um, and then we also heard about stuff with the Orlando, like we got more information about Orlando pride and Amanda Cromwell, um, as well as I'll actually just scroll to the bottom of this, this report. I'd, I also want to quickly say for people, if you don't want to read this, like 100% don't, like, don't read this. Like it is, it, there's a lot going on. If you, but I would say if you do want to read parts of it, I personally would recommend. Um, there's basically a summary section at the very end, starting around page one, like the technically it's page 103 if you use like a screen reader, but it really starts page 100. Um, that covers everything that they talk about of all the inappropriate conduct just in like less detail but outside of those three that I mentioned they also hit on Houston with Vera and James Clarkson in detail the abuse that those players went through um also with Craig Harrington who is a former assistant coach of the Chicago Red Stars said coach of the Utah Royals that now does not exist um and then we also hear a lot of things about Richie Burke which friend of the pod Kai McCullough has gone into detail about with the Washington Post. Um, and then we also hear from hear about the abuse of players lived under under Fareed Benstidi, who was head coach of Oil Rain for 2020 through 2021. I think just off the jump for me, besides the fact of how much was in this report, I just like thinking of my background in history with sport, especially, you know, you know, being close to college sports through my siblings, like being a multi-sport athlete in high school, it was just like, it was a lot to take in, but it also really made me think about the stuff that I've personally been through, especially when it comes to like, and see, and also seeing other people go through, you know, with, you know, body shaming, like food shaming, but also with, you know, bits of like emotional abuse that you see. And it's, I don't know. I think just off the cuff for me, it was like, uh, it was like, okay, I need to take like, I need to momentarily take a break from this. Um, while I was reading, cause I was like, this is like, I mean, I jokingly texted Andre, but I was like, it feels like it's bringing back war flashbacks the stuff that I know I especially experienced, especially while rowing crew, which is a sport that like, I would say more than any other sport in the world, like your, your weight does matter because you're on a boat and the boat needs to float. Anyway. Um, but yeah, like, I'll just start off the, the jump with Freed Ben CD. It was something that we had known about going in when Owl Rain hired him, um, that Lindsay Horan had been very, very vocal about how he had specifically fat shamed her while she was at PSG. And like, besides the fact that she, you know, wrote an op-ed about it, there was a Yahoo Sports article. There were multiple articles about this. She went on a podcast with the Players' Tribune talking about how he treated her. And we learned through this that, <laughs> Bill Predmore, who was a former CEO and also former principal owner of Owl Rain, formerly Seattle Rain, um, was like, I didn't know about this. And I feel like that's, I actually feel like this example is a really great example of almost the entirety of this report, where we kept learning over and over that either people weren't doing their due diligence when hiring managers, uh, or sorry, head coaches for these teams, and it was either that they weren't doing their due diligence on their own and like t literally having a simple Google search in the case of Freed Ben Steedy, um, a simple Google search, or we saw over and over again that we had seen so many, what I would like to call 
stop points across the history of this league where there was an investigation done. Either the investigation was not done to the proper scope that it was supposed to, and thus was like very limited in its scope, but still finding that abuse occurred on the fault of the manager, the coach two players, and yet information is passed on and it's get it's supposed to go into the quote unquote right hands. And, and by right hands I mean the people who can do something about it. And instead, nothing is done for a variety of frankly stupid reasons. Um, or they're trying to like hide under the guise, like we know in the case of Portland, hide under the guise that they can't provide this information because of attorney client privilege or or blaming their lawyers for some reason and we see this abuse reverberate across the league spanning several years where if it's like if there was an actual adult in the room if there was someone who actually not only cared about these players but also like in theory like cared about not getting having this come out and not getting sued within an inch of their life by these players that endured so much abuse someone should have like no one did anything. We saw over and over and over again with either, like, obviously, we know, Paul Riley is, a, like, the prime example of this, where they did the investigation, the team put out, you know, thanked him for his service, did not put out why he was actually fired. The results of the investigation are sent to Lisa Levine, who, <laughs> I have really strong words for her, but specifically Lisa Levine, who was general counsel for U.S. Soccer, then later general counsel for the NWSL had this information that would have prevented this man from getting new jobs and also continuing abusing players across the board. And yet nothing was done. The same happened with Rory Dames. They had several investigations into him, but for reasons that honestly don't really make sense in my head, like why they would take such a limited scope of an, of an investigation. Um, and you know, not, go out and, like, substantiate or disprove any claims that were made. Like, the the abuse just continued and continued and continued. And, like, my... I think the thing that I really took away from this was that there were, like, no adults were in the room. No one was there to protect the players. And it's, and it's kind of insane if you look at... If you look at the framework in which the NWSL was created because the WPS folded as a result of abuse of players by club president or like club leadership, we have like the number one thing that's is and you know, Andre, I think that we would think this going into it, but it seems like no one in the room really did from any NWSL leadership from literally 2013 to now or any U.S. soccer leadership thought, hmm, how about we make sure that this abuse that literally tanked this league that we just had, because it is a direct through line between Magic Jack and the dissolution and folding of that league, no one thought, let's make sure this does not happen again. Because I know for me, and I, to be fair, I said this a few months ago, where I said burn it all down. I'm not 100% sure this would happen, but like... I keep asking myself, how does this league continue to exist? Because as I started this, like, as we started this episode, every team in this league is mentioned. Though I will say Angel City and San Diego didn't have, you know, very 
let's say, broad swaths of this report about them. But literally every team in this league is implicated. And it's like, after reading this, I don't know how you, how the rot has not hit the core. Or how, honestly, how the rot did not come from the core and then spread out. And so, yeah, those are just some of, like, my kind of initial soliloquy, I guess, of reactions about this report. I just, I don't know. I just, like, from the racism to the sexual abuse that spanned years, like, like five, six, seven years and permeated five teams in this league, I just, like, they just failed the players so much. Like, from from every part of it, they failed the players. And one thing that also stood out to me, especially with the creation of the anti-harassment policy, but also anti-fraternization, both of those policies were not, like, the league did not think, hey, this is something we need, let's do this. Alex Morgan was instrumental in getting that anti-harassment policy in, but also with the anti-fraternization policy, that literally came from a prospective owner, like, owner of a team in the league, being like, hello, this should be here. And then the league is like, oh, yes. And then implemented one immediately. It's, I don't know. It's just bad from top to bottom. Andre, I've been talking for a while. <laughs> like, I feel like my brain is starting to scramble because I just cannot wrap my head around how these players were failed from the jump. Yeah. So <clears throat> this, so yeah, like like Courtney said, like this, the, the Sally Yates report and Sally Yates actually talked a lot about, you know, why her report was limited in scope and all of that. This report was not limited. Um, this was across the league, across many years. And as Courtney said, even teams that either rebranded like Sky Blue to Gotham, uh, all of that, um, this, this went, this was all encompassing. There are a couple of things that I initially, you know, had in my mind when I was reading through everything. And especially when I was done reading through it, it's just like Courtney said, it's absolutely unreal that this league still exists. It is also unreal that no one has taken legal action. No player has taken legal action against the league for what they've suffered and endured. I think that when we look at things that are discussed in here, and I think that sometimes, especially in sports, because sports conversations are so toxic, people look at things like, you know, verbal abuse and, you know, harassment and all of that stuff. And they read the headlines and they think, oh, that's just tough coaching or that's just like how sports are. But I want to make sure that people know that like we're talking about things that were done in and with around multiple clubs that were straight up illegal, like things that you can actually get yourself in a courtroom for, like land in a courtroom for, like the the extent of some of these things is just awful. And then, of course, there's also other elements of it, just things that are egregiously gross, like the racism, you know, talked about anti-Semitism with Richie Burke um, and somehow thinking it's okay because no, he didn't think there was a Jewish player on the team. It's just like, I mean, tracks with everything we know about him, but also what the hell are you even talking about? Um, So I have like all those reactions and thinking about that. I also, like Courtney mentioned, Lawyers, general counsel, no adults in a room. My my thing with lawyers in these instances is they can do a couple of different things, but they always tend to do one thing when it comes to these institutions, particularly an institution as big as like U.S. soccer, is they work very much like HR in companies. HR protects the company. Lawyers protect the institution. And we saw that time and time again. And that 
should not be the job. And if you're doing your job well, that would not be the job. And it kind of like blows my mind a little bit that people who are presumably smart just thought that this could continue pretty much in perpetuity with no one finding out just because they didn't want to look bad in the moment. And it's just stuff like that, that, you know, when we talk about the adult in the room, I just, it's frustrating because at any point, somebody could have said, yo, this shit is wild. We cannot have, this is wrong. We cannot have any of this. So like, no, we're going to put policies in place. We're going to stop this. We're going to get these coaches out and do things. There is no reason in the world it should be taking toward so close to 2023 for this stuff to finally come out and be happening. And it's just a complete like failure on every single level from every person involved, from U.S. soccer who keeps trying to distance themselves and say, you know, we were kind of over in the NWSL, but we weren't really like there was other like they had a management structure. And then you talk to, you know, they interview the inter- the um, commissioners at the time and they're like, well, we weren't approved to do anything without U.S. soccer's involvement. So it's like there's always this passing of the buck back and forth and nobody wanted to take any sort of blame. But it's like, look at all the damage that was done while y'all are playing games. Just look at all the damage that was done, all the harm. Players that are still in the league, players that are not in the league, players that aren't even playing the game anymore because of what they endured. Like it's, it's, it's just so frustrating and it's so like it's hurtful to think about everything that happened regarding the players. The last thing I wanted to, to note is I want the league, the NWSL, because of course they released this and this is supposed to be, the framing of this is this is the, like, this is them putting everything on the table saying this is really bad. This is stuff that is in our past, in our history, and it will not be a part of our future in order to make that true and have that be the most like accurate statement and to be the turning point that this moment should be, this league has got to understand the concept of intersectionality because all oppression is linked. And if you read through this report, you can see it all. Homophobia, you can see sexual harassment and abuse, misogyny, anti-Semitism, racism. You can see it all. And obviously each one of those things also has their own specific and unique oppressions and and ways that it that it is ways that it targets and harms and influences and 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 um, abuses people. So it's not that they're all in a bucket, but this is why we get so frustrated when people are really down for other causes, but pick and choose when it comes to Black Lives Matter. All of these things, or like say kneeling for the anthem or doing something, having conversations and not anticipating, you know, being able to opt out of things like that. All of this stuff is connected. And I think players, but ultimately the league itself has to lead in that aspect of it. And I was very disappointed. I had I had work duties, unfortunately, my regular nine to five, so I couldn't actually be on the call. Uh, but I listened to it afterwards and I was very disappointed that really nobody asked the racism question. And Not it a chance. there were any black people um, called on to a- ask questions anyway. Um, and that's just such a bad look, such a bad look. I don't think that you can act like this is a step of transparency if you do not either, if you do not face those questions as well, you do not confront those issues because all of these things are connected. And the most vulnerable are like, you're only, we're only going to be safe as the most vulnerable among us. 
that is the whole like concept of intersectionality. And it is really frustrating that this league continues seemingly even now in the aftermath of something like this that is so wide ranging still struggles with that and doesn't understand that. And really it's, you know, we talk about it here all the time. It's because the front office is so white and they keep hiring more white people. And it's like, okay, or maybe qualified white adjacent. Y'all are struggling yeah, or white adjacent. Correct. So like, yeah, I just, I, I want to see a lot more in the aftermath of this. I've been like, I knew it was going to be hard reading some of this stuff. I knew some, I didn't, you know, some of the statements of, you know, like Vera Paul's statement about her being shocked and these are lies. It's like, nah, I'm sorry. People people have been talking about this stuff for years. Like it's just now printed and put into, into a report and there's a spotlight on it. But players have been talking about this stuff for years and how she impacted them. And the same way with the body shaming stuff just, that Courtney was talking about with Ben Steedy. It's just, it's it's all extremely frustrating and so unnecessary. And if there had been a single adult in the room, this would have been resolved a long time ago and would have spared a lot of people a lot of harm. I just, so two things that also stick out in the report to me. Andre, I don't know if you picked up on this. Um, first was that in the beginning and like, I, I can't lie, at one point I I was like, I just, <laughs> at one point I was like, this legalese is really getting to me. Um, but there in the beginning when they like, as most reports do, they like start and they say why they're there and then they explain all the history of like the league and professional women's soccer in the country and like also what the scope of the investigation is going to be about. One of the things that really stood out to me was that they said, quote, the investigation focused on misconduct by NWSL employees and club staff directed at players. The investigation did not focus on player on player misconduct or misconduct directed at league or club staff. So I, I bring that up because the, and and I just want to continue on what Andre was saying with race and this league still not grappling with the racism that exists. And we like, and in the actual report, they hit on this several times, but the, the, the investigation did not focus on player on player misconduct. Now I understand to be fair, why they might not have broached that given that there's, literally so many like I could see an investigation like that taking probably I'm gonna say at least five years if not more given how many players are in the league things like that but the reason I bring that up is because Andre you and I have both been in very wide spaces and know what it's like to be a black person or even just a a non-white person in very white spaces because the one thing that I really do wish that this investigation went in more and to be fair, they they mentioned it that, quote, on several occasions, the NWSL or clubs did not investigate racially insensitive conduct or attempt to improve conditions for players of color until allegations of racism were brought to the public eye or until players pushed for a response, end quote. When we talk about making this league better, as Andre said, intersectionality has to be at the center of that. We know, having lived in the United States, And also, to be fair, even throughout this entire investigation, the pain and suffering that white women can directly or indirectly cause by their actions. And how we will not save, like, no one will get saved until intersectionality is at the center and until y'all really start speaking up about racism in this league and all of the intersections that combine with race and how they're affecting players in this league. 
there were like between Dames, Richie Burke, Christy Holly, like, and that's just a few of them. All of these people have said super racist stuff, either to a player or about a player. Whether it's literally for <laughs> Rory Dames calling black players thugs or telling a player she's acting like a game member after a game in which she played aggressively. Like, that, it's just, it's like, that is, we're not even talking about, like, the the quote-unquote, like, microaggressions. Calling a black player a thug or telling them they're acting like a gang member is a macroaggression. Actually, honestly, if I'm being honest, I don't even think microaggressions really exist because they still hurt all the same way. They're just, they just come in different packages. But the way in which black players have been saying this throughout this league for years and if we think back to 2020 and why the Black Women's Player Collective was created, the, like, the league still has so much farther to go. And I am happy that in these recommendations that they listed that one of them, or sorry, a f- um, several of them dealt with race and saying, you know, they need to revise the anti-harassment policy to address microaggressions and racist and derogatory language as well as, you know, providing anti-harassment, or sorry, anti-racism and unconscious bias training and prioritizing diversity, include, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives to create a more inclusive environment for players and staff, like developing partnerships with diverse infinity groups like the BWPC, but also creating more for other players of color throughout the NWSL. But it's just like the the racism that persists in this league can, like, you cannot escape it. It is everywhere. It is all around. It is not surprising to me that, like, the way this report details how Black players have been treated by clubs, even the one thing that they have not talked about, which I'm honestly super disappointed, is after Houston won the... I think this was after they won the 2020 Challenge Cup, and they were just screaming Indian food dishes at each other. And it's like... that needs to be included in the like that is so racist and it still like has not been reckoned with by the houston dash or it seems like anyone of nwsl leadership (laughs) but it's like the way in which they would they would talk about especially like sexual and emotional abuse through this story but it is still so heavily weaved into intersectionality and for a lot of these coaches it was like it was like every single one of them said something wildly racist and it was just like you know like as i said before the and as i said in the report the league or clubs did not investigate until the racism was bought out in the public eye thinking about sarah gordon and her boyfriend getting profiled at the houston stadium and also how clarkson told the players to call the security and and apologize the day after that happened like it is so wrapped up in this and i and one thing that I, I keep thinking about over and over and over again, because Andre, today we learned that they're narrowing down the next two places for NWSL expansion. The the Team 13 is going to be Utah. Team 14, they gave a list of three locations. I don't want to get into that right now. But it was not lost. I mean, I wanted to tweet this out, but I knew the photo was going to be hard to read. That you want all the great things that come with expansion, blah, blah, blah. But we know that Utah environment was super racist to black players. And it says it in the report. It says, quote, one former player reported that the Utah Royals home stadium fans called players names based off race and sexual orientation 
and players did not want to play in Utah as a result. What does that mean for this league going forward when you want to expand and you want to get all the accolades and you want to say you're the best league in the world, but yet you are still you're actively going back into a market where players do not want to play because they do not feel safe. And that's not even talking about how Utah does not doesn't allow abortion. How does the league like you can't say you're trying to make all the steps of making the league better and learn and listening, quote unquote, listening and learning. We're having tough conversations, blah, 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 blah. While all of your actions say otherwise, and you are taking an action of actively going in a place where black, where black players, queer players say they do not want to play there because they do not feel safe in those stadiums. And I know it sucks for the fans of the Utah Royals, but like, you like you players should not feel like they're being put in danger just so you can watch a soccer team up close. I, I have a couple of things to say about that Utah thing. Cause yeah. So I do. So of course the way that this world works, right. Del Lloyd Hanson, who owned the Utah Royals, there's a lot that came out about his misogyny and his sexism and his racism and everything. And he was just a, a terrible person running an organization awfully. And it was taken from him. And as it should have been. And yes, that is a gutting move for those fans. And so I understand the league wanting to say, all right, we're going to provide an opportunity that is, you know, at a lower cost for Utah to come in, to come back if they can get an ownership group by a particular date. Uh, And apparently they did. So that's going to be the new one. So I don't necessarily have a problem with that. My problem is a couple things, Like, like, like Courtney just mentioned, this is not an unknown thing. In Utah, this did not just happen in the NWSL. By the way, those reports are out there about how NWSL players were impacted by racism from Utah. Uh, whoever happened to be watching the game, I won't say they're fans, but whoever was in Utah attending games and doing that, uh, abusing players in that way. I think there's also a, a problem that we have seen across many, many sports and, and places where athletes, black athletes, play in Utah. There was an entire, oh, I can't remember, I believe it was a TikTok about being black at BYU. There was just a lot of kids sharing exactly what you would think they would share about being black at BYU. There are issues that we saw with BYU and their their supporters as well. Some some teams hate going to play in BYU and in Utah because of what they experience and the, the vitriol in it. There is an NBA player who retired in 2001. His name is Vernon Maxwell. He still, still, and every tweet, he tries to find a way to shit on Utah Jazz and Utah Jazz fans because he hated playing there so much because they were so abusive to him and so violent towards him in in their trash talk and their heckling. I think if the league wants to go back there, which not wants to, but if they're going to, there needs to be strict rules in place and zero tolerance you say something you are banned for life from the stadium like i think you just need to have these policies in place because we see what happens when you don't <laughs> it's not like anybody either takes ignition the initiative uh or the responsibility to make any a wrong right it just continues to become a wrong and become more and more wrong and the wrong spreads all over the place and becomes many different things i also think and I believe, and I agree with Courtney, like I'm sad for the fans in Utah, you know, and, and it is tough to hear this about your place specifically. The thing I will tell you though, if you are in Utah and you are listening to this, it is your responsibility to protect 
your environment. Sure, you can cheer against, you can be against the other team, you can support your team, but when somebody steps over that line and you know what the hell the line is, I don't like people always acting like, well, I didn't know, or acting like, it is your job to police it. And that really goes for all supporters. It is your jobs to police the environment and keep the environment what you want. There is a level of respect that should be showed. And when, and clearly like racism is not part of that. Violence is not part of that. Profiling, all that stuff is not part of that. So I just like, I hope that we don't hear about these stories as soon as Utah is back playing again. But the only way we're going to do that is that the league takes it very seriously and makes it a serious thing and say, hey, when, when this team was here before, it wasn't just the ownership group that was a problem. We had plenty of players in the league affected in a very negative way by coming to Utah and playing. And we're going to try and make sure that that does not happen. And here are the things that will happen if it does. But also supporters, please, please police your own. Even if it's a stranger, police that person. Strength in numbers. Y'all know what's right and wrong. Make sure you are shouting down and taking care of anybody who is crossing that line. Because that is really, that's the solution. Policies can be up there and you can get rid of like one racist. You can get rid of one racist a week. (laughs) You know, every home game. But you're not going to change and, and, and be able to manip- like cement the culture until everybody is on board with it and being willing to protect it loudly. So please do that because Utah is getting a team. And I just feel really sad for uh, the players that potentially might experience something. Do not let that happen. Take care of it up front. Yeah, that just like, I don't know. Cause, I mean... As I said, I had to take breaks while reading this. Um, getting war flashbacks. Um, and yeah, I just read that, and I was like, "How? <laughs> like, how do you say? Like, like, what is that? Like, what does that mean for players now going there?" Um, and I like there. I mean, this this really was. I will say, just like so, like truly, um, so much to digest. But I think also one thing that really did stick out to me through this, like, the entire reading, like, you know, of this report is, um, so we learned, I don't know if it's been last, Andre, was it last week where we learned about Rianne Wilkinson? Maybe two weeks ago. I don't really remember. Oh, yeah, I think that was a couple weeks at this point. (laughs) It's like, I don't know how much time has passed. Um, but one thing about this, because they they mentioned what happened with, um, like, Rianne Wilkinson, um, and her leaving Portland and there being an investigation uh, like throughout this ongoing investigation process. And one thing that I think was surprising to me is with Rand Wilkinson, she said that, well, two things. And this to be fair, goes back to the creation of the league of like, you know, that was a kind of a question brought up over and over of like, how much was us soccer involved with the NWSL, you know, who's, who was responsible for creating HR and doing these investigations and stuff. And it was just basically like a lot of pointing back and forth where it was like us soccer was like, we had, they were, we were hands off with NWSL and NWSL was like, we look to us soccer to do all of this. And, you know, no one was taking, uh, no one was taking any responsibility for what happened. Um, but one thing that did stick out in relation to Wilkinson is, you know, she said those, text between her and Menges happened and then she like reported it to Portland's HR but the like Portland's and 
it went against the NWSL anti-fraternization policy, but it didn't go against Portland's. And the reason why I bring that up is because it, it also seemed increasingly clear to me that there were there are times or there were times where, you know, things or policies put in place by league or by teams went in direct conflict with policies put out by the league, which to me just helped foster that. Oh, well, I don't know if it was we were supposed to do it or the or the NWSL was supposed to do it or U.S. soccer was supposed to do it. It was just like, it's kind of funny to me, like no, like no one from the outset thought like, especially with, for example, the anti-harassment policy coming about and how it came about. No one thought like, hello, we should all be aligned on this one thing and make sure that all of our policies go hand in hand together. Like, for example, for Gotham and the anti-harassment policy, and I'm paraphrasing from the report, at one point it says, you know, if something uncomfortable happens, you should go talk to the person directly. But that puts the burden on the person coming forward to say that, you know, there was abuse or improper conduct or something like that. And it's like that also goes against what really like the league anti-harassment policy is saying. And here are like all these, you know, other reporting channels and you shouldn't have to go up to the person that did that improper conduct and confront them about it. I don't know, that was just like one thing that really did stand out to me of it's like, I don't want to say it's ingrained, but maybe that is where it's almost ingrained in the NWSL of like nothing is working in harmony, but also everyone is pointing the finger at someone else. Yeah, that pretty much, I think that sums up the, the, the problem over the past, you know, basically the history of the league. Um, it's just been that and it can't be that anymore. Um that's the that that's the thing like it struck me how much and we and Courtney brought this up earlier just how much the players have endured and continue to give to this league they could have gone overseas they could have gone to Mexico they could have gone anywhere and done anything but they stayed committed to this league and the league does not deserve it given how thoroughly they failed the players really in every single way like we said we talked about off the top all of the different ways in which abuses were committed. Um, it's just wide ranging and affected so many people's lives, careers, everything, self-esteem, how they felt about themselves, everything. And it doesn't deserve it. And so I give like respect, gratitude, and healing to the, all the players, 100%. but also the league has a massive burden. Now you cannot have, done all the work to get to the bottom of all of these things and then do not do everything that's necessary to make sure that this there is not a you do not have they do not have the ability to produce another report like this this expensive this gross in another 10 years that's the thing that gets me is i need to make like there there's a massive there's so much work to be done and we personally I need to start seeing the league's intention in how it's building its front office, how it's responding to a lot of these things. You know, in the recommendations, even in this report, I saw, you know, talking a lot about DEI initiatives. DEI is not an initiative. I think there are things that you can do and implement, but I think it has to be wide ranging. It has to touch everything you do, even the places where you don't think, you know, it may, yes, that too. It needs to be an entire thing, player to player, 
player to front office, front office to front office. It is in every corner or else you are going to leave something out. Something is going to be through the cracks or you're going to invite somebody in who's going to have space to abuse a certain type of person. And then once abuse is here, it spreads. It becomes more things. They find more more ways for it to become an target another group of people and another group of people. It's the way that this stuff works and has always worked. And that is why I was talking so much about intersectionality because I would really love, I just, I just need the league to understand these concepts. Every time we talk to Jessica Berman, the new commissioner, who I think I have, I have more, I'll go on record to say I have more belief in her than I did in Lisa Baird, but that's not saying a lot, especially if you watch that HBO documentary, Lisa Baird was just absurd, just, just an absurd human being. And oh, ESPN, apologies. Yes. ESPN documentary. Yeah, she was just absolutely absurd. But uh, every time we've talked about diversity with Jessica Berman, she brings up her own background. And it's like part of this work is not centering yourself. That's like rule number one. Speak on it. (laughs) So stop doing that, please, so that you can actually identify what the issues are. Because even though you may have an experience, you don't have all of the experiences. And that's part of the problem. And that's why I was so frustrated in the aftermath of this report, you know, the presser just not being, not speaking to certain things that are very, very important. It's very, like, if you do not have the time, schedule it for another time. Like, you need to go through this report. Like, I, I, be, I believe the call with Sally Yates was longer. Like, you are the league. You have to go through this and be prepared for all of the questions and make sure you address every single item. And nothing can be left out. And you have to make sure that people who are from all walks have the opportunity to ask questions. And that's why it was so disappointing that there wasn't a Black journalist that was able to ask a question. And then, of course, you know, none of the other journalists brought up any of the racism, which, yes, there was a lot to talk about. But it would have been good for somebody to bring that up uh, because it is not something that can be minimized. And I think that too many times that this is how racism is viewed as its own separate problem um, in this country and that you can be a good person without actually standing out there and calling out racism or whatever. You can be about, you know, um, you know, marriage equality and, and, you know, abortion rights and everything, but then clam up when it comes to talking about, you know, equity uh, for black people and racial equity. Uh, and I just don't think that you can really separate those things. It is a strain of the wrong brand of feminism, the wrong brand of social justice. It is not actually, it is not, those words actually do not apply in that in this scenario, but it, it seems to be an avenue that is well-traveled within this country. And I see the NWSL going there and it's concerning to me um, because this will not go away. There will be another report published if they do not react to this correctly. Yeah. Also, one thing, because I know we didn't actually get into the meat and potatoes of what I keep saying. Meat, you know, I keep saying meat and potatoes because I'm hungry. I've only had pretzels <laughs> today. But um, one thing that I that also really stood out to me from the report was like, and I don't want to laugh. It's like almost comical, but it's like comical of like, why are you like this? Like, does does no one have common sense? Like thinking about, so I, I, you know, Andre talked about some of the recommendations, but also one of the recommendations 
um, is separate housing accommodations for player and club staff. Right. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? Why were they living in the same apartment complex yeah. as the players in the first place? That's like, how broken this whole thing was, man. Like, it that really is how broken this entire thing was. Like, it is so... <laughs> It's so insane to me that, like, the NWSL needs to make strides, but also, like, needs to, like, pull itself up in the process of, like, basic things. Like, having coaches adhere to the club's medical staff decisions regarding player health and ability to train and play. Like, those are literally, like, basic things that I personally don't, like, it's like one of those things where you don't think you need to put it in writing, but then you see how the NWSL has operated and it's like, oh, I guess we do need to put that in writing. Or like... <laughs> right, definitely. When a player comes forward with an allegation, hey, don't tell the club president or the, or the owner of the team uh-huh. who the player was. Yeah. Like, it, it's so... And then have the owner not tell the coach so that the coach can then retaliate against the player. Don't do right. those things. It's like such... or Or... And I actually will point this out. So following the Amanda Cromwell investigation and also for Sam Green, um, and they didn't even properly tell the players what the results of the investigation were. So players then apologized to Cromwell and Green because they thought that Cromwell and Green hadn't been found any misdoing through that investigation when it was the opposite. And then that led to the retaliation that ended up getting them both dismissed. But it's just like, (laughs) it's also... Like it breaks my brain some of looking at some of these recommendations for the NWSL to move forward when also all of those and it's like some of them are really basic, like ha, like have the medical personnel have the final decision on a like on a player's fitness, uh like in you know, in terms of playing and being like healthy and things like that, but also like providing mandatory annual anti-harassment training. I can say this because I work for CBS. And in the middle of me joining, like, in the middle of my time at CBS, Viacom CBS became paramount. And for the, and like, literally in the state of New York, and actually probably in the state of New Jersey too, probably loads of states in this country, like, I've, you have to do anti-harassment training every single year. And also, you sometimes have to do it multiple times a year. Like, I, unfortunately, have had to do our anti-harassment training on three separate occasions because the company that I technically joined, Viacom CBS, changed to Paramount, and then New York State put in updates for, like, mandatory reporting and things like that, and so you had to do it again, and I had to do it when I joined. Like, it is so baffling to me, some of these things, where it's like, we shouldn't be putting this, like, we shouldn't have to put this in writing, but y'all let abuse become so rampant and so ingrained in this league and haven't done right by a single player until, honestly, them those news articles from Meg Linehan and Molly Hensley Clancy started dropping. And then you're like, oh, thing, people are going to, you know, this is probably going to ruin our bottom line somehow. Because really, to me, if I'm being my most honest self, so much of this is still tied to just like, ca- like capitalism and people getting into women's sports, but thinking it's a charity. And it's like, I want a team for my daughter to play on. um, Or not getting abusers out of the paint because they coached your, like your daughter's soccer team 10 years ago and you're friends with them it's just like the with this league the most basic things still have to be like have to be written out and it's like you think the league 
would have come past this, but it is so increasingly clear that it's not. And my last thing about this, unless I think about something else, but I'll try to wrap it up. I, I do just want to go back for a second to talk about how so much of this in the previous investigations were really trying to determine if the person who's being investigated had done something illegal. And somehow, the, despite mounting evidence, the teams had determined that they had not done anything illegal, which I'm like, what? There are there are worker protections in a lot of these states that these NWSL markets exist in. Yes. These things were illegal from the jump. Yes. And I don't know how, and maybe this is, I don't know if it's me being naive, but also how they were not passing along all of this important information between each other and the entities because something illegal happened and players could sue. Like to me, how the players or like certain players and all, I just want to take a quick moment to like send love light to everyone who came forward and put their name on the record. But even those who didn't like, I don't know how y'all do it. And you're still playing this game. And for those who aren't like literally bravo to all of you, honestly, but also how they have not sued everyone within an inch of their life. Because I guarantee to you, if what I'll just use like Aaron Simon as an example, if what happened to her happened in any other industry, there would be an absolutely massive lawsuit. And how the league didn't think to fundamentally protect itself and being like, we did our due diligence to trying to get out this abuse. Like the league could easily be sued for negligence. Like I just, like there were so many illegal things that actually happened. And I feel like that's sometimes, I know we we moved past it for a moment in this episode, but like also at the core of so many things is actual illegal behavior. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I completely, I mean, stuff that we read about in the Yates report and this report from Dames, from Holly, from Riley, those things like workplace protections. Yeah. You can get yourself in a hell of a lot of trouble for stuff that they've done. Um, and even outside of the workplace, like if it was just yeah. two regular people on the street. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that, that stuff is just, yeah, I, I'm, it is. And I know like it was, I, I do believe that the framing of, you know, going back to the ESPN uh, documentary, like the, and, and we've heard it from, you know, uh, Meg who has covered the league. We've heard it from Molly as well. Um, their stories, as Courtney mentioned, was just like, it's a genuinely a culture of silence. They used all of these tools to retaliate, to put pressure on, to abuse players, to make them feel bad about themselves, to keep them under con- control, quote unquote, so that they felt like they had no other options. That in itself, that environment in itself is abusive. And then on top of that, you continue to pile on abuses and mistreatment. It's just like, it's, it's so, it's so disgusting and so frustrating. I just feel for so many players who dealt with a lot of this and who have been trying to speak up, you know, for so many years and weren't listened to. And you try to go to people who you think, okay, this is a powerful person. This is someone high up. If they hear about this, there's no way that you would think a decent human even if you're decent, if your actions are decent because you're scared of perhaps something else, a lawsuit, some sort of something, some news getting out, whatever it is, a player taking this information to a journalist, perhaps something like that, you assume some level of action and then nobody does anything but continue to protect the people doing the harm. 
and this league did it and people in this league and people in us soccer did it for year after year after year and that's the part that i just am like you know i've got a whole lot of beef with the way us soccer the us soccer federation runs and a lot of it stems from stuff like this. Never taking responsibility for what's happened in the league. Every single statement is always, you know, we think the players, they're so great. But also, you know, we didn't have anything to do with it. Or, you know, we weren't, you know, running the league at the time. Or we were just providing, like, you know, bare support. And they're like, no, you were not. No, you were In those early years, USSF ran, ran the league. People like Jill Ellis knew what was going on. She can say she didn't. We have we have reports now that show that these things were aware. If she didn't read them, that's also being bad at your job. Whatever it is, but the, the I didn't know excuse, it's kind of like what, what Courtney was talking about with the Lindsey Horan thing. Uh, and the, the way that Predmore, um, the, the way that like I, Courtney mentioned earlier that sometimes you just like, laugh out loud even though nothing's funny but it's just like the audacity the stupidity in it just kind of blows your mind when you read it and i think predmore said oh yes this this line here that said he didn't know about ben Ben stiti's weight shaming before deciding to hire him he remarked by the time that it by the time it came out he hired him in 2020 this stuff was known. Her aunt's op-ed was dropped in 2018. I believe in 2019, she was on a podcast. It was in New York Times had an article about it too. In fact, let me find it because the there was a there was a headline of this that was, yeah, the podcast episode title. By the way, the title to the episode, the title, like you did not even go searching for this and like listen to the full thing. The title is Lindsay Rand opens up about body shaming at PSG. Like that's the title of the episode. Like it's a, to me, it's just like that is so indicative of how everything with this league has worked is that people just have the ability to look back and say, oh, well, I didn't know at the time. Stop being <laughs> obtuse. It's that mean. Thank you, you because know? I want to say a word that I shouldn't say. But yeah, stop. <laughs> st- just accept it's, it's- it. Like you were wrong. I would say it. You were wrong. You did something wrong. You didn't do your due diligence. This stuff was out there. Nothing dropped at the time. Stuff was out there for years, years plural, before you decided to make a decision. You didn't Google. You didn't vet. You didn't do anything. You didn't listen to players. You didn't talk to Lindsey Horan. You didn't do anything. You just were like, you wanted to do what you wanted to do. So say that's what you did. And then say, here are the steps that we have in order to make sure that we do not allow ourselves to make such decisions in the, in the future. This is the thing. This is where you have to provide things in place to hold yourselves accountable because that's the only way to stop this. If it all, if it continues to go with your, your decision-making, pro, you know, if you're the only sole decision-maker or your process does not expand to include other things, other research, other vetting, other people, other experiences, then you're going to continue to make these mistakes and then not own them. And it's the whole not owning things that really makes me frustrated for the players in this because how trapped must they feel? When you can't go to somebody in the front office, you can't go to the owner and talk about a bad coach, even an assistant coach. You can't go to U.S. soccer and talk about it and have anything done other than maybe damage your own career. Like, 
that is the part that just has to stop. And I just like all the statements and yeah, uh, teams released a bunch of statements and all of that. I want to see action. Some of them are dumb. Some of them are so dumb, but like, I want to see action. I want to hear y'all changing processes, talking, like doing something. Show me what you're doing. Don't talk about it. Don't put up your little, and some of them even forgot alt text. Like, come on, y'all. Like, come on now. Like if you're, if you're actually doing something, you want people to read and you want this stuff to mean something like, like, come, like, honestly, bare minimum stuff. I need to see action because like this, all of this coming out, this entire report without action, you're just re-traumatizing a whole lot of people. Yeah. It's well, first with the Predmore thing, I did want to say it's like, you know, that meme of DW from Arthur and she's like, and she's standing in front of a door and it's basically her saying, you can't stop me because I can't read. That's how I feel about a whole yes. lot of the NWSL. Yes, that might as well be exactly what they say verbatim. It's like literally f- hilarious to me that so many of them are like that. Um, and Andre, I know like, this is something that we're probably going to talk about in the future, but I also just, you know, wrapping up a little bit here, thinking of, like, and thinking as a journalist, how often... And really until I want to say maybe 2021, how players requesting trade or first of all, which players requesting trades were seen as divas, but also Mm -hmm. talk about it. The, the seeds that have been sown throughout women's soccer media in this country that have made it, that have done so wrong by so many players. And I think sometimes it's hard when you're in, in the thick of the moment, like thinking about like, you know, in this game, this person's not having a bad, or this person's having a bad game and all this stuff, or like criticizing a player for their actions. And obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but also about just how much these players are going through. It is just like so disheartening to me as a black person of the media. Also thinking about like, you know, in the report they referenced when Jorian, friend of the pod, left racing Louisville and how they used a photo of Ebony Salmon in her goodbye post. Yep. And how the club did not do anything until a, I think people started tagging Dorian to be fair. And then a whole bunch of people started calling them out of like, this is abhorrently racist what you're doing, but it's just like, I don't know. Everything that these players have went through is really disheartening to me. And also that so many folks within this media environment often forget how players are human, but also how they will, unfairly criticize certain players mostly black ones for trying to get out of an abusive environment because it is not lost on me that chris and press also went several times like several times to those in charge saying abuse is happening and she got kicked off the national team and was basically rage traded from one abusive coach to another and i know them coaches know when other coaches are abusive you can't tell me that's not an open secret and like lost her spot on the national team and had to go abroad and the amount of criticism hurled her way like i'll quite simply just never forget it and also people talk and then like people saying like coming for quote-unquote stands online when it's honestly mostly like yeah some stands are a little cuckoo but also some of them are just like people speaking up about the racism she endured and how it's just brushed aside as like quote-unquote stand behavior when it's really like mostly honestly black fans being like something fishy is going on here and it takes a few years for all of that to come to light because andre i know for us we definitely saw there were like kind of weird fishy things going on obviously we did not know the extent of them 
but how people just, you know, easily brush it off. Like they like to brush off accusations of real racism that happened. And so it's just something I've been thinking about as a journalist and a person in the media. Yeah. So I, I think unless, um, Courtney, you have anything else to add, I think we will end it there. Um, we will continue to talk about this, by the way. There is plenty to talk about. Um, we do plan on having more episodes, hopefully in the future, um, to process this more, to have people on, to talk about it from different angles. Um, you know, So we, we will not be done with this. This will not be the only episode about it, but we wanted to record our reactions, our responses, things that popped into our minds as we were reading, as we were processing, um, and hope that it was helpful for some people um, for someone, I appreciate all listening. Um, we really do appreciate that. Um, I know that, you know, this is really heavy stuff. So if you made it this far, thank you. Um, and hopefully, you know, we can all kind of continue to put pressure on the league to show us actions instead of statements and teams in particular show us actions instead of statements, um, and, and trying to hold the commissioner accountable, uh, as well. So, um, Courtney, anything to add? Just love and light to all the players of the NWSL. Those who came forward, those who didn't, past, present, future. I I hope this brings you a lot of peace. I've been gaslit in work environments before. And so I hope that seeing this report and realizing that what was going on was not normal and also did not just happen to you brings you peace. So love and light to all the players. And also this league is nothing without the players. So do right by them. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I think that is the perfect place to end because this league does not deserve the players it has had. Do better.